Good morning, everyone, and welcome to HCC at Home. Um, I am so excited to be with you again this week, week two of HCC at Home, uh, while we're in the stay-at-home order. Uh, thank you so much for joining us last week. Uh, great time uh, seeing the comments and seeing who joined us. I hope you were blessed. I hope your family was blessed through what we, what we were able to put out to you guys last week. This week, we're going to be in John chapter 12. It is the story of Mary anointing Jesus. Um, it's, it, it leads up to Palm Sunday. It actually occurred the Friday before Palm Sunday. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday, and so this essentially occurred on Friday. And I thought it was just a great uh, lead-in to Palm Sunday and Easter. It's a, a story of great faith. It's a story of extravagant, extravagant worship. And this is, it's a story of, of the power that can come from those two things. And so as you're turning to John chapter 12, I'm gonna pray to settle my heart, to prepare your heart, because I firmly believe that even though we're not gathered corporately together, that God's presence is still there. And we need to have hearts that are ready to hear God's word, ears that are ready to hear it, minds that are ready to, to think about it, and then feet that are ready to take action. So join me in prayer. God, this morning, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to meet and to gather together again. I know we're not gathering together in person, but God, you knew no limits. You were able to heal people from a distance. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere at all times. And so God, we thank you so much that in the midst of this season, with everything that's going on with this pandemic, that God, you have given us ways to still gather weekly around your word, gather weekly with our families. And God, thank you so much uh, that, that you've slowed life down for some of us and given us much more time with family. Sometimes that's stressful, God, help me through that. But God, thank you that, that you've given us more time with family. And so God, this morning, I ask that you, you anoint these, this simple message. God, that you do something amazing with these simple words. God, that you prepare the, the ears of those who are gonna hear it, the hearts of those who are gonna hear it, that we may be, be ready to hear what you have to share with us, that we may be ready to be motivated and challenged this morning and to be encouraged. And God, this morning is always anything that I say that it's from me and my imagination. Let it be forgotten before anyone logs off their computer today. And God, anything that's from you, Anything in this message that is from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, like I said, we're in John chapter 12, so turn there if you, if you haven't gotten there yet. Um, it'll be up on the screen, so no worries. We're gonna go through it. Here we go. Starting in verse one of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I wanna just pause there for just a minute. I think it's amazing that just kind of a, a, a cap to a sentence, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We have to remember that last week we talked about Lazarus. Lazarus was in the grave for four days, was totally and completely dead. Four days in the grave was totally dead. Four days without his heart beating, four days without his brain working, and Jesus said, come forth. He does, and he's totally and perfectly well, and here he is in Bethany with Jesus. I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to just skim over that. So, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. I want to take another pause for a second. All of my servers, all of my people who love to serve, love to make sure that everyone is taken care of. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, all my Enneagram twos, Martha served. Last time when Martha served with her and, and when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus rebukes her pretty hard. 
because she's serving with the wrong motive. She's serving with the wrong attitude. And this time, there's no rebuke. There's no criticism, no critique. It's a statement that Martha served. Because the rest of the story, we're gonna look at Mary and we're gonna look at her extravagant worship. But I wanted to pause here just for a second to make sure that all of you who serve know that when you are doing that, you are worshiping just as much as Mary ever does. And, G, and, and, and John, the writer here, wanted to make sure that you knew that, that the readers for the rest of time would know that Martha serving, it's not just a point of fact, it's in there to make sure that everyone knows that serving is an act of worship in the same way as what Mary does. And it continues and says, <clears throat> excuse me, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Again, here is a, essentially a dead man who is now not dead and is now reclining with these guys at the table. And can you just imagine being one of the disciples for just a second? Can you just put yourself in that place and think, I, I watched this man come out of the tomb. He was wrapped in uh, grave garments, essentially kind of mummied looking, and he hopped out of the tomb and he was totally well and he's totally alive and now I'm having lunch with him. I think that would be weird. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're like, oh, it's totally fine, totally normal. I think it would be weird to have lunch with the man who used to be dead. Continues, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now at the time, John had no idea about this. Every single one of them believed Judas was a devoted disciple. Up until even through the Last Supper in John 13, no one believed it was Judas. No one had a, an idea. It wasn't until Judas um, in the garden really sold out Jesus that any of them had any idea and so this was put in later. This is being able to look back in retrospect. And John wants us to, wants to make sure that we know, hey, this is who this guy is and this is what he was about. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And I wanna, again, pause for this one because the, I'm using the English standard version of translation. And, and it makes it a little confusing here. When it says she may keep it for the day of my burial, um, it was saying that, that she could essentially have used it for the day of his burial. That's what this is saying. He wasn't saying that she had to keep it for the day of his burial. She was saying that she could have. That's the best way to understand that verse. And he finishes up by saying, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. It's, a, it's an eight verses, amazingly compact um, little story, and the story moves on from there, but I want to look at what Mary did, and I want to look at um, what Judas said, and I want to look at the power of those two things, but a little clarification first, a little clarification first. So this story is found in three different places. It's found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and here in John 12. Now, there's a very famous story in Luke chapter 7 of another woman washing the feet of Jesus. And this is, she wipes, uh, she cries onto his feet and wipes it with her hair. That's two different women. 
The challenge is they're probably both in the house of a man named Simon. So Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12 are all in the house of Simon who used to be a leper. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there. It's in Bethany, which is in Judea. And this is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. In Luke 7, it's in the house of Simon the Pharisee. The woman is a woman of the city. We have children, so you can use your imagination to know what that means. And that occurred in Galilee. So just so we are all on the same page, this is not the woman in Luke chapter 7. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And it says in the story that they reclined at table. And to understand how this occurred, because in our context, in in our cultural context, for Mary to wash Jesus' feet, she would have had to crawl underneath the dining room table, um, make her way through the other disciples' feet, and find the feet of Jesus. That's not how they ate at the time of Jesus. They would have sat at a short, uh, short to the ground, low to the ground, U-shaped table. And on the inside of the U is where Martha would have come and served the meal. We saw earlier Martha was serving, as she does. Um, she would have been able to come into the middle of the U to serve everyone. All of the men on the other side of the table would have been leaning on their left elbow on their side with their head towards the table and they would have been eating with their right hand. And so what this would have done is it would have put their feet out behind them. And so Mary would not have had to climb under the table and navigate her way through the legs and feet of everyone else. She would have been able to know exactly where the feet of Jesus were and she would have been able to see him lying there. Now, In Luke 7, the other story of the woman, um, she washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And the reason she did that is because Simon the Pharisee hadn't washed the feet of Jesus before he he reclined at table. That was a Jewish tradition. That's what they did for guests, is that when the guest came, one of the servants of the house would come and wash the feet of all the travelers and all the guests. Now, Jesus gets on to Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7 because um, this woman of the, of the city who was a great sinner, she was doing something that Simon the Pharisee, who was the leader of the Jewish, the Jewish groups, what he should have been doing, and he had neglected. Now, in this story, Simon the leper would have already washed Jesus' feet, and so she didn't have to wash his feet before she anointed them. He was ready to be anointed. And she uses this ointment, and in, in all, if you combine all three accounts, if you combine all three accounts of the story, you see that not only did she anoint his feet, but she anointed his head. And it's really, really interesting because at the feet is the place of a servant, the place of a slave, and the head is anointed by those who are superior to you as a way of blessing or a way of bestowing blessing. And it's so amazing that, that Mary anointed both his feet and his head. That someone, that Jesus would lower himself enough, lower himself so much to be um, anointed by something he created. That Mary could bless him by pouring ointment on his head, anointing his head, and she was simply a mere human, and Jesus was God himself. It's just so amazing that God so humble, that Jesus so humbled himself in that moment. 
And this ointment was made of pure nard, and it was uh, imported from India. It was incredibly aromatic, had great fragrance, um, and that's part of uh, what costs so much. That's part of why it costs so much. That when it says that the, the room was filled with the fragrance, a perfume or an ointment was more expensive depending on how much area it would cover. Not that it was strong, not that it was overly strong, but that it covered a greater area. And it's just amazing that she anoints his feet, anoints his head, and it says that the room is filled with the smell of it. And many of us have been in worship before. We're just, you're worshiping and you, the room is filled with the presence of God. Now again, we understand God is everywhere at all times, but we've had a message not too long ago about the manifest presence of God. And that's essentially what this is talking about is that when we are worshiping Jesus, when we are bowing at his feet, his perfume, his smell, his presence is filling the room. And my prayer this morning And my prayer all week has been that as we gather together in our homes, that in your living room, on your couch, at your dining room table, that the room would be filled with the presence of God, that the room would be filled with the presence of the Spirit of God, and that this morning, even though we can't meet corporately, that we're we're separated and we're distanced, that still God meets you and His presence fills that room. Now notice again, when we talk about the ointment, when we talk about Mary being with Jesus, this is the third time we see her in scripture, and this is the third time that she's found at the feet of Jesus. What an amazing testimony that there's three times she's recorded in scripture, and three times she's at the feet of Jesus. The first one, she's there to learn. She's there to sit, and she's there to learn, and she's there to absorb all that he has to say. And the second time we talked about last week is he's the, she's there to grieve. She, she doesn't fall at his feet to worship. She doesn't fall at his feet begging. She falls at his feet because she is overcome with grief at the loss of her brother Lazarus. But this time she's there to worship. And this time she is there to show who she believes Jesus to be. And we're gonna talk about that more in a little bit because she may have been the first person to really understand Jesus, when he said he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and he was going to be resurrected. But before we look at Mary, let's look at the bad guy in the story. We gotta start with the bad guy. We're gonna start with Judas. Judas says, why wasn't this sold to pay for the poor? Why wasn't, this is such a selfish moment. Why didn't we take care of more people? And and I gotta be honest, there's sometimes that when, when I read this story, Judas sounds pretty correct. He sounds like he's trying to do something that makes sense to me. Um, and Jesus makes it very clear that this was the right thing to do. Um, now, I find it interesting. Judas is recorded as the one who begins the criticism. But if you look, none of the other disciples stand up for Mary. And in fact, it, it kind of can appear that they joined in um, and, and even if they didn't join in, I again, like I said last week, I, I try and put myself in the middle of stories. My personality, my quirks, my, my, my idiosyncrasies in this story. And so I'm, I picture myself, I'm leaning, against, leaning on my left elbow, eating with Jesus and Lazarus who was dead, which again freaks me out. And Judas says, 
why wasn't this sold so we could give to the poor? We've got lots of poor. We've only got this much money, and this was a year's salary. I would have been like, oh my, that, Judas, you, that, I may not have said it out loud, but in my brain, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. This was, yes, this is Jesus. Yes, we understand who he is, but that's a lot of money. That could have taken care of so many people. And then Jesus would have said, leave her alone. I would be like, oh yeah, we probably should. She's worshiping God himself. If I understood, that's who he was. But all the disciples probably agreed with Judas. And if you look at Matthew's account, of this story, it appears that Judas had this interaction with Jesus, with Jesus, sorry. Judas had this interaction with Jesus and immediately left that meal and went and betrayed Jesus. Now, we're not sure of the time frame. There could have been a distance, but in Matthew, it appears that Judas went and immediately sold out Jesus. Judas probably thought that Jesus was going to take over and be the reigning king. That was the traditional, uh, a, a normalized Jewish thought was that the, the Messiah would come and he would be a reigning king on earth. And they had been under Roman oppression for many years and wanted Israel to be theirs again. And Judas, that, I think that's what his hope was. And Judas was the treasurer. He was the guy who carried the money box or the money bag, two words, same thing essentially. Um, and, and, and I think he probably believed, oh, when Jesus comes in to reign, I am going to be the treasurer of the entire kingdom of God. And Jesus kept saying, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna die. I came to serve. I'm not gonna be king. In, in John 13, um, in the next chapter, he washes their feet as a servant would. And Judas is like, this is why I sold you out. You're not a servant, you're a king. And when we don't see Jesus as who he really is, we can miss the whole point and we become what Jesus referred to as the Pharisees as a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, we look super spiritual and we look like we've got it all together and we look like we are spiritual beings and Judas did the same thing. He made a very spiritual statement. He made a, a, an actually a correct statement, but his heart was broken. His heart was dark. His inside did not match his outside. He said outside, externally, we should have sold this. We could have given it to the poor. Why are we doing it? But inside, as John points out, he only wanted the money in the money bag so he could take it and do whatever he wanted with it. And Jesus here, and John is making sure we understand our external actions have to match our internal heart. Our internal heart have to match, otherwise we're hypocrites. And that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees over and over and over. You're hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs, but inside they're nothing but dead bones. And that's what Judas was. Let me get to Mary. Mary, the, the heroine of the story. Um, we're gonna look at just a few things. Um, this was an extravagant worship moment. This was a moment where, where she, she gave it all. She literally, that was, that was her most precious item. That was probably the most expensive thing she owned and she poured all of it out on Jesus. And I think that's so amazing for us to understand. She didn't hold anything back. She didn't hold a single drop of that ointment back when she worshiped Jesus. 
And I think for some of us, when it comes to um, last week when, when we did worship, I don't know about you, but I was sitting there and I was just kind of listening along and it wasn't until my kids started singing that I started singing. I'll be honest with you. It was really, really convicting this week as I prepared this message going, I had an opportunity to demonstrate to my kids what extravagant worship looks like and my pride or my insecurities or whatever kicked in and in a moment where I couldn't where I couldn't physically gather with my church body but I could spiritually gather with my church body I missed an opportunity to lead my family Mary didn't Mary didn't miss an opportunity and she was ridiculed. And that's what's gonna happen the moment that you begin to give everything you have to God. When you begin to give everything you have, you pour out all that you have on Jesus, you're gonna get ridiculed. Across the board, every person that I've ever met that just wholeheartedly lived their life, pouring it out, as Paul says, as a drink offering to Jesus, they're mocked, they're ridiculed. And that's what happened to Mary. And in Matthew and Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew and Mark's account, Jesus calls what Mary did a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. It wasn't a waste. It wasn't a poor decision. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And part of what was beautiful is that she um, essentially violated some societal norms in order to worship Jesus. At that time, in that culture, in that society, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that a woman's hair was her glory. Women had long hair, but they never let it down. The only time they would let their hair down was at home in front of their husbands. But in this moment, Mary would have undone her hair, which in public would have essentially brought her shame. And she used that hair to anoint the feet of God himself. We cannot let what our church culture, what Christian culture says is the right way to worship. We can't let those traditions hold us down and keep us back from worshiping God with everything we have, pouring out all we have to the point of essentially bringing us shame. And that reminds me of a story of David. David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to the temple in Jerusalem and he is dancing before the Lord and he is dancing and he, he gets a little hot when he's dancing and he takes off his garment and he gets back home. And I believe it's his wife, if I'm wrong, forgive me. He says, wow, you really embarrassed yourself today. And in the new Brian edition, David responds with, woman, please. I have not yet begun to defile myself. That David was not going to be weighed down by what other people thought of his worship. His worship was between him and his savior and his God. And that's what Mary was doing because Mary, I believe, was the first person who truly understood what Jesus was going to do. Now we understand Peter was the first one to understand that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that statement, I'm gonna build my entire church. But then Peter doesn't understand that Jesus is going to die and is going to be buried and then eventually be resurrected. Peter kind of misses that point. Mary doesn't. She anoints Jesus as if she would anoint him at the tomb before he dies. 
She brought the flowers before the funeral. And here's the other part. This was amazing. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Maybe you did. Maybe you're much smarter than me. This Mary was not one of the women who went to the tomb. She was not there at the resurrection of Jesus. She did not anoint his body in the tomb. She, I think she knew what was gonna happen and she was just waiting for it because she anointed Jesus in the same way that you anoint a body for burial, what, essentially eight days, I think, eight days before he died. She got it. She had faith. She understood. She believed when Jesus says, I'm gonna die and three days later I'll rise from the dead. She's like, I think he actually means that. I don't think he's being uh, figurative. I think he's being literal. And she believed him. And when she believed him, she created this wave of blessing that I wanna show you guys because I want us to understand that we can do the same thing. It started in the room. The room was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And everyone in the room would have remembered that moment. Everyone in the room, again, would have remembered that Lazarus was dead and now he's not. He's having lunch with us but they would have remembered this moment and it filled the room. The town of Bethany would have been forgotten long ago in history had Mary not done this in the city of Bethany. We have writings from the early church leaders that they would talk about what Mary did, that they would talk about her blessing Jesus and her worship of Jesus and it was a blessing to the early church and it became a blessing to the whole world when Matthew, Mark, and John made sure that it was written down and it's a blessing to us this morning here at Harrisville Community Church because she wasn't held back in her worship. She decided, I, this is my savior, this is my God. He raised my brother from the dead. I believe he is who he says he is. And she worshiped him with everything he had, with everything she had. And two millennia later, we're still talking about it. Because Proverbs 10, seven says, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. How many of you this morning know someone named Mary? I know at least two. I probably know more, but right now off the top of my head, I can think of two. Anyone know someone named Judas? I didn't think so. I'm hoping none of you do. That's a terrible name, and parents, what were you thinking if you named your kid Judas? There's forgiveness, but that's awful. No one is named Judas because it's, a, it's synonymous with traitor. What can we do this morning? Because I believe that Jesus is calling us this morning to be able to create a wave of blessing that lasts just as long as Mary's did. Because the question is, how long will your name be a blessing? How long will people remember what you have done? How long will HCC, how, Harrisonville Community Church, how long will it be remembered? How long will it be a blessing? What can we do this morning Bless God in such a way to worship God in such a way that we're remembered for millennia, two millennia. I'm really glad you asked. Turn to Matthew 25. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples and this is a long recorded sermon that actually starts in chapter 24. And this section I'm about to read concludes the message to the disciples. He's talked about a lot of different parables. He's talked about the end of days. And we're going to start in verse 31 of Matthew 25. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and visit you in prison? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. None of us can physically wash the feet of Jesus right now. We cannot pour out our worship on the feet, the physical, tangible, hold them in your hands, feet of Jesus. But Jesus wanted to make sure that we all knew that there was a very specific way that we could bless him in the exact same way that Mary did. One of the ways we extravagantly worship Jesus is to extravagantly take care of the least of these around us. We can wash the feet of the least of these. We can feed the hungry. We can give a cold cup of water to the thirsty, both physically and spiritually. We can welcome strangers. We can clothe the naked and we can visit the sick. Those are things we can do. In this moment, in this season, when it seems like our world is, is tumultuous and, and we don't know what next week's gonna look at and we don't know what this virus is gonna do and we don't know what our government's gonna do, we don't know when we're gonna get back to work or get back to school or get back to church, we don't know those things and that can cause all sorts of panic and that can cause all sorts of fear. But I think this morning, Jesus wants to say, be at peace. Because what I've asked you to do, you can do no matter what is going on in your world. You can do no matter what is going on around you, you can wash the feet of the least of these. You can feed the hungry. You can give a cold cup of water to the thirsty. You can welcome strangers. You can clothe the naked and you can visit the sick. Because Jesus said, at the end of days when he returns, he will say those things that you did to the least of these, those who could never give you anything in return, those who couldn't pay you back even if they wanted to, it's what you do to the least of these that you have done to him. In the same way that Mary has been remembered for 2,000 years for the way she worshiped Jesus, we can be remembered both personally and as a church for thousands of years from now by what we do to the least of these. Let's pray. God, this morning, thank you so much much that you are in control. Thank you that you guide us, you give us hope, you give us peace, you give us courage, and this morning I pray that you move our feet to action. God, we are in a world that is kind of going crazy, it seems like, but God, we're the place of hope, we're the place of peace, we're the place of security, we're the place that can offer help. And so God, this morning I pray that you stir in my heart exactly what it is I am to do. That you stir in the heart of every single person listening to my voice at this time at 10 a.m. or about 10.30 now. And God, everyone who listens later, God, that you stir our hearts to move, our hands and our feet to action. I'm reminded of the song, if, 
If we are the body, why aren't our hands serving? Why aren't our feet moving? God, you have called us to be the light into this very dark world. And God, in this season, I find no better time to do it than right now. So God, help HCC, help us, help me to know how we're supposed to do that. And God, help every single person who calls HCC home. And God, every single person who calls any other church home, may we move to those who are the least of these in the same way that Mary went, went beyond societal norms, what was acceptable behavior, what was proper behavior. She went beyond that to worship you and giving everything she had. God, help us do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.